Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 17 A Door in Him Opens They returned to the family home in silence, after the conclusion of the gun. John and Tion between them carried Leah, bearing her on their shoulders in turns. Jan and Lara walked side by side, winter lions flanking them, a few steps behind Toman and Nisa. Dane strode behind them all. Nisa had been the first to break the still-life picture of the kneeling and the standing forms, there in the copper ring, with the snow falling about them. Without speaking, she had turned and left the circle, going to gather Leah from where she was playing with her friends. Dane remained some minutes, still on his knees, his hands gently upturned, before slowly rising and leaving the circle himself. Lara saw the elder mahogany woman from the gun watching Dane, but she could not read the expression through the studied mask of the woman's face. Upon arriving home, they gathered to eat together. Leah carried the conversation, telling stories of her play that day, asking questions, drawing her brothers out about the meeting. The underlying tightness in the adults seemed smoothed over somehow by her harmless prattle. Finally, at the meal's conclusion, Toman told them that the remaining hours in the day were theirs to do with as they wished. He had a commission to keep in one of the grander houses in the city, and the work involved required a pitch of skill beyond them. Nissa needed no aid with Leah. If they chose, he said, Dane could take them on the mountain paths, and they would sleep deeply that night for the exercise and the clear air. They wore thick leggings and coats. Nisa gave them small packets of food to slip into their pockets, and soon, with grateful swiftness, Lara, Jan, and Dane took the streets in stride and came to the eastern edge of the city, approaching its limits by a more diminutive hedge-gate than the large carven one by which they had first entered. This gate had two posts merely, Sycamore trunks sunk into the earth at either edge of the gap in the stiff, dark hedge. The bark of these trunks had been left on the lower half, then stripped from the upper where the trunks tapered to two identical tear-shaped knot designs at the top. The blue sky winked in the bits cut away like a weather vane seen from below. The guard who stood beside the gate nodded to Dane and let them through without comment. And then they were on the side of the mountain. 
They had come out onto the single, furthest-flung spur of the great mountain range that curved like a scimitar round the northern plains, just touching the mahogany village with its tip. Before them, the earth rose sharply, gorse and pine trees flanking the twisting path as it flicked back and forth among the boulders. Lara felt the cold air cut into her lungs as she walked, it exhilarated her somehow, despite its sharpness, as though her mind were coming awake under its harsh touch. She glanced up at the sky, deep with clouds, promising snow again. She could not see the sun, but the day was light enough. For a good while, none of them spoke. The first noise to break the silence was Dane's, kneeling briefly beside his winter lion and speaking or growling some kind of command. The silver beast loped away from him and mounted one of the pines beside the path, watching them from the broad branch and making no move to follow them further. "'He will join us again on the way back,' Dane said to Lara, whose face displayed puzzlement. I find the walking warms me enough, and I like to see him going his way freely when he can. Magnificent they are, said Jan joyously, turning and walking backwards to look on Dane's winter lion, now arcing from rock to rock like a gazelle, mounting the incline. Soon the leonine figure disappeared over the mountain's shoulders. She drew deeply on the air and flung her arms out, spinning back to front. Lara laughed. You would like to be one? Yes, said Jan. Then, no, I love this body, but yes, yes to leaping like that, to... To moving freely in the winter and the cold, Dane said, and his smile was turned on her. Yes she said again, and sighed. Her chin tipped up and her face lifted to the sky. For the next mile, the path ran up sharply, broken over rocks beneath the earth like knuckle bones under skin, and they grew out of breath, climbing. Lara's blood beat fiercely in the attempt to keep her legs from seizing up, but the ache in them grew, and she soon had to stop. She was not, after all, long recovered from her illness. They paused. There is a lookout just ahead, Dane said to the girls. Jan was leaning against the bowl of a pine, and Lara was seated at the foot of another. From it you can see the whole city, and some of the land surrounding. I thought you might like to stop there for a while and eat. Lara nodded. After a few minutes more, they rose and followed him for another quarter of a mile up the mountainside, until they came to a level place, a clearing of sorts, off to the side of the path. Evergreens gathered thickly where the clearing met the slopes of the mountain, but there was a great open space where the earth jutted out to form an overlook, Pale green mosses or lichens lay upon the boulders and carpeted the ground. They were dry to the touch and brittle, whipped clean by the winds. And there, below them, they could see the city of the Mahoganies on its high tour. The great house of the Gan stood closest to them, 
and Lara saw that the apex of its roof was indeed cut away, in a many-pointed star. From that building, the other houses and craft guilds and streets spread in a wide pattern, all girdled by the dark green corin hedge with its hidden berries, barely visible from this height, but as a near-black belt round the hill. She had no idea which house was Nissa and Toman's. Each of them looked wondrous, together making a city of little carven castles and leaping walkways. She wondered what it would look like covered in snow. There, Jan said, pointing southward beyond the village. That must be the forest we came through. Yes, said Dane. It continues for many miles beyond the horizon that way. And if you look to the west, you see the lowlands where the fairies live. Valleys and woods, and finally the shores of the sea. I've never seen the sea, Jan said, and her voice bespoke longing. Dane looked at her where she stood, perched on the earth like a lioness herself about to spring turning to take in the whole vista before her with eagerness. It is like the heavens, great and grand, calling the souls out of us. Beautiful. He paused and faced the west. If I could take you to see it, I would. Lara watched Jan wondering over the warm quality that seemed present in her friend's countenance and body. Had this man made it? How strange that a man's self could have such effect on a woman, to crown her, apparently, with well-being, wholly complete, in a single instant. As though she had, even in that moment, at last arrived home. She thought, unbidden, of Danai at Toron's side, her hand always touching his still body, her eyes watching him, anxious, while he slept. They ate the small foodstuffs they had brought with them, all three silent, overlooking the city and the forests and the plains. When at last they did begin to speak again, the conversation turned on plain matters, and Lara could afterwards recall none of it. She was struck primarily with the strong sense of joy that emanated from her two companions, a joy that seemed disproportionate to the day and its happenings. She herself felt a great nourishment in watching them, occasionally adding to the conversation, but chiefly observing, wondering, focusing utterly on the two of them and their being. There must, she supposed, have been many days like this, during their travels to the mahogany village, days filled with just such interaction, plenty for her to see and hear, and yet... She and herself absorption had been blind to it all. 
What else of the world had she missed? Passing through beauties unperceived on every side, while grumbling in her contained misery. From what other inner sanctums was she debarred by her preoccupation with self? Dane laughed at something Jan had said, and he leaned back as he did so, his face full of unconscious ease. Lara thought, he too has responded to her from some inner place. A door in him opens to her touch that otherwise would have been shut. Suddenly she realized that these inner places, these doors, were not such that you could open them yourself. In the same measure that she could not wake and feed her own hearts, though she had been born with them, though she called them hers. That first heart-finding, down in the earthen tunnels, in the wide, hidden spaces of the goddess, she had been told this. She belonged to herself and to the great unknown. Both. She had been made... Here, too, she began to see that for her own wholeness she must come before the faces of others, to give to them and take from them in turn. She needed their hands to unlock herself. She could not do it alone. She did not entirely understand nor greet the thought with pure welcome, for in this exchange, too, she was made vulnerable. If she were not sufficient unto herself, what then of the day when those others on whom she depended failed her? Perhaps this was something of what Jan had meant when she spoke of pains to come from this heart. And like a thunderclap, another thought broke over her. What if she herself, a player in the game, gave pain to some who depended on her? Had she done so to Jan? Had she... The thought was sluggish in coming and hard to wield. Had she given pain to her parents? She did not like to think of these things. Against her parents, surely, she had the greater claim, for had they not withheld from her their affections, after which she had hungered for so long? In that balance, surely, any of her own shortcomings to them weighed but little. She wanted to return to thinking of herself and the fearfulness of what she risked in opening herself to others, she wanted to return to thinking of how right she was to distrust their hands among her heartstrings. She wanted to use that argument without having to come under its purview herself. Accuser, not in her turn, accused. Lara? Jan was looking at her with some worry. Did you hear me? She hadn't. Had there been a question? And in something like despair, 
Lara realized that she had fallen back again into self-study, consumed with her own mind, unaware of her companions. How quickly it had happened. Not a moment ago she had reached a revelatory height, but tumbled just as fast again into her old pattern, barely noticing the fall, the fading of the light. I asked what you thought of the garden today, Jan said. Of the garden, Lara said. Are you nervous? She thought. At first, yes, not towards the end. But one thing I didn't understand. Why did they ask Nisa those last questions? Why did you... Why did you kneel? She glanced at Dane. He bent his head. They know of the hatred in her for the goddess, because of her son's death. They thought that perhaps to house one of the goddess's people would be too impossible a thing for her. But she said yes. Dane sighed. Yes. She said yes. I do not know why. But why did you kneel? She spat on you, and you had nothing to do with her son's death. I knelt because... Dane again bent his head, pressing his palms flat against his knees as he rocked forward slightly. He brought his hands up and dragged them through his hair, then turned away to look out over the landscape. He was quiet for some time before finally saying, I knelt because she is hurting, and because I hurt for her, and she does not have to let me into her home. But you don't know her. You don't owe her anything. He spread his hands as though shrugging. I belong to the goddess. Her children are my family. Of course I owe her. And this is what this this goddess has you do? Go to people's homes and get spat on? Dane laughed out loud. Sometimes. I suppose you might say that is for the people to decide. Lara frowned. It seems poor treatment for someone who belongs to her. Yes, said Dane seriously. But it is not she treating me thus. Yet she sends you. Dane nodded. Why go, then? What does she give you for it all? Why do you go? Again, Dane looked down, searching for words. I go because... Because she loves me. And because I have love. A waterfall must rush over its precipice, Jan said abruptly. He smiled. Yes, exactly. I cannot keep it back. I, I do not want to. Lara looked at them both, thinking of Jan's mother's heart plants. That profusion, spilling over an abundance... What was it like to have so much life within you that it trumpeted out even when you were crushed down? 
I wish I knew, Lara said, speaking her thought aloud before she was aware of it. I wish I knew that, that she could be trusted. Do you? Dane asked. She looked at him in confusion. Of course. If that is true, he said, then she will show you. What do you mean, if it is true? I've just said it, and I meant it. Lara bristled. Dane looked at her quietly for a moment, as though reading her countenance. Forgive me, he said at last. You are right. I spoke thinking of myself. I have found that we belong to a kind who can deceive themselves as well as others. Sometimes the reasons we give for keeping ourselves away from the goddess are not the real ones, though we think them real. Or they are real, but shallowly, with deeper beneath. We are muddy creatures in all. I deceived myself for many winters thus, and I have known it with others as well. But no matter. All is grace. The clarity finds its way to us in time. And we know our own clarity best. It is not for me to name yours. Lara could think of no response, though she still felt vaguely offended. Dane seemed to sense this, and, as though in apology, he turned the conversation back to matters of small moment. Soon the weakening warmth from the sun betrayed the hour, and the three of them rose, stretched, and turned back to the path to begin walking back to the village. The thin air hovered bright in the evergreens, and Lara's breath cut into her lungs, but she felt deeply alive as they descended the slope. The strange, too-bold gate came into view, and then the loping form of Dane's winter lion joined them from its wanderings. She put aside her unsettled feelings from Dane's words and thought only of the beauty of the day. They returned to Nissa and Toman's home just before the evening meal began. The light had faded long since from the streets, with a dark winter twilight making strange shadows in among the carvings of the entryway as they passed beneath it. This time the courtyard with its frozen fountain was not still and barren. Leah sat cross-legged on its stones with her winter lion curled round her. She had several handfuls of coloured pebbles arranged in patterns on the ground and was frowning over them in concentration, now and then reaching out to shift one's position and then study the whole anew. Vines mounted the pillars supporting the courtyard's walls and they bore dozens of the blooms that gave their light at the sun's setting. The courtyard was illumined softer than daylight. Nissa sat watching her daughter from a wide-armed chair in one of the alcoves. She had not seen them enter yet. Her face seemed heavy with pain and love.
Jen, who was walking ahead of Lara, paused before they came into the light. She turned and looked at her two companions, motioning with her head to the right, a small staircase leading to the second floor. In silent agreement, they filed up it without making their presence known. Within her pool of light, Leah flipped another colored stone, green beside violet, smiling with satisfaction. She looked to her mother, who nodded, raising a hand to her mouth as though to smooth away her expression and continuing to watch the game. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon, who make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much.